professional property managers. Andrew Smallwood here, host of the Triple Win Podcast. Excited to release to you a recording from last year's PMLX, PM Leader Ex- Leadership Exchange. And we had keynote speaker Christopher Lockhead, the number one uh, marketing podcast on Apple iTunes. Speaking, he's also a best-selling author of the books Play Bigger and Niche Down. And uh, Chris has just uh immense wealth of wisdom around marketing. He's he's been called the godfather of category design uh and, and featured in a number of places uh, for his expertise. And what we say about our crazy uncle Chris is uh if you have some some kids at home or, or other people who might be listening to this podcast, we just want you to know that the language might be a little PG 13. And that, uh, you know, we hope that doesn't get in the way of the tremendous insights that Chris had to share about the exponential power of different compared to the incremental benefit of better and many other concepts that he'll share in this episode. So we hope you take it. We hope you run with it. We know many people have since last year and they've used it not just as a not just for marketing tactics, but really a whole company strategy, understanding the positioning and the language and everything you use to position your company to be attractive uh, to potential potential clients. So with that, we'll hand it over to Chris and our good friend, John Berghoff, who helped facilitate the interview. Awesome. Um, look, if you haven't heard of Christopher, you're not familiar. Um, Christopher, I met you maybe three years ago and you had just published around that time, your first book that I was aware of called play bigger, which was considered like the guide for a large company to become a market leader. And then a few years uh, later, you came out with this book niche down, um, which was based a lot on, uh, also your podcast. And when I met Christopher, Christopher, you had said you were basically retired. You were a three-time chief marketing officer in Silicon Valley. The last company you worked for sold for billions of dollars to HP. And um, I think you tried to retire so you could surf every day. You ended up starting one, two podcasts. It both became top charting podcasts for Apple. Um, Economist Magazine calls you slightly off-putting to some. Uh, modern marketing manager publication calls you the human exclamation mark. You, uh, you've been called the godfather of category design. And I read from the back of your book, Christopher, and then we're going to talk all about marketing. From time to time, he advises, he advises courageous executive teams, gives a speech, and enjoys a scotch, a ski, or a surf. Christopher, I'm uh, super grateful that you're here today, buddy. Can you hear me? There you are. How are you doing? Good to see you, John. Thank you so much for the kind introduction. Uh, I'm stoked to be with everybody today. Yeah, good to have you, brother. And um, just so everybody knows how this is going to go. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Just so everyone knows how this is going to go, I'm going to ask Christopher a couple questions. Um, When we get to the end, we're going to have another interaction where we invite you into small groups just to share maybe what was your favorite takeaway. And then at the end of this session, um, we're going to do something, as far as I know, it's the first time it'll have been done during this event today, which is we're actually going to do a little fundraiser. We're going to auction off, Christopher, a chance for uh, a few folks to stay on Zoom and have a Zoom lunch with you. How does that sound? Does that sound pretty good? 
what are you going to say at this point? Um, and it is to raise funds for the Alexander, Alexander Hamilton scholars. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. And I also just want to acknowledge all of you by being here have contributed to supporting a cause that is really significant. So thank you everybody for that. So Christopher, um, I actually want to offer a personal acknowledgement. I know we're going to go way into marketing, but I also know this happens to be a crazy time in your life. You live in Santa Cruz, a few blocks from the beach. Uh, most of us are probably aware that your neck of the woods is like burning down right now. I don't know how else to describe it. And um, also, brother, just to acknowledge, I, I'm, I'm well aware it's a privilege to have you today. You just lost a very close family member of yours like a week ago. So I just want to thank you for being here, man. I know you got a lot going on. It's been uh, a very serious week around here between the loss of uh, my brother-in-law, Michael, uh, last weekend. And um, this week has been one of the most trying times in modern Santa Cruz and frankly, Northern California history. Mm. Uh, at one point, there were over 600 fires burning. And the CZU fire, which is uh, here in Santa Cruz and San Mateo counties, uh, has been the most destructive fire in the Redwood, Santa Cruz Mountain area for a long time. And we recently lost um, the first ever state park in, um, in California, Big Basin State Park, uh, right here in Santa Cruz. Uh, so yeah, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's been a hell of a week. Mm, well, thank you for being here, buddy. And you're in our thoughts and prayers. And I want to, I want to turn it over and ask you about, um, some of the foundational principles that you've taught around marketing. And if anyone wants to go find your, you got two podcasts, one is called follow your different. The other one is lockhead on marketing. And, um, this particular book that I held up earlier, niche down, how to become legendary by being different. I'd love for you to share with everybody a little bit about the philosophy or the thinking behind that idea of what it means to be different as a small business or any business and why that is different than trying to win by being better. Tell us anything you want about that. So there's a number of big ahas here. Uh, the first one is most of what we've been taught about marketing is a complete lie. Um, and I'll give you an example. Many companies make the seminal mistake of competing for existing demand in an existing market category by playing a comparison game. And the most blatant example of this that most of us see on any regular basis, if you watch any TV, uh, is this thing that hangs on the wall that uh, some of us st still watch. Um, you'll see ads locally for car dealers and the car dealer ad is sort of the embodiment of everything that's wrong with marketing. Hey, come on down this weekend. We got the best and the best selection and the best prices and will not be undersold and, blah, 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 and service and da, 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 da. And, and, and then they say one of the stupidest things of all, which is, and don't take our word for it. Compare our prices against our competitor. We will not be undersold. And so what that is, is a blatant, immature example of what, frankly, the vast majority of marketing does, which is I promote my company or brand, and I purposely am trying to capture demand by inviting comparison with my competition. And um, 
that's a pathway to failure. And so the first sort of aha is that legendary companies do not want to be compared with others. Uh, they force choice, not comparison. They want to be you, viewed as unique, as different. Um, and rather than comparing, they force choice. That is to say, they are not easily replaceable in the minds of their prospects and customers. And so legends become known for a niche that, they're, that they own. That's why they're legendary, which sort of gets us to another a big misconception. In, in the world of business, in the world of marketing, we've massively over-rotated on brand. Oh, it's all about your brand. It's all about your brand. It's all about your brand. It's all about your personal brand. Personal brand being one of the stupidest ideas in the history of business. Um, and what people don't understand is that um, brands only matter if they dominate a category. Here's a simple example. Red Bull has a legendary brand. Red Bull Cola total failure. Red Bull Energy Shot, total failure. What makes Red Bull a legendary brand is they're the company that designed and now dominates their market category, which is called energy drink. When they take that same brand and slap it on a cola and go head into Coca-Cola, they have their ass handed to them. And so the category makes the brand. It's about radical differentiation. It's about forcing choice, not comparison. And ultimately, it's about becoming known for a niche that you own. And when people uh, perceive you as being number one in your area of specialty, in your category, in your niche, that's actually what makes your brand valuable not the other way around. But most of us fall into this trap of comparison. Most of us fall into this trap of promoting our brand. And a brand is about us or our company. A category is about the customer. And the truth is, no one gives a shit about your brand. What they give a shit about is themselves, which is why the ability to create a category, to design a niche, and then to own that niche is the most powerful thing you can have, both personally in your career, as well as for your company. Mm. So Christopher, I want to ask you more about this idea of being different uh, versus better. And by the way, I think it's worth acknowledging, like by show of hands, I can see a number of you. How many of you have enjoyed this event today and specifically the fact that you get to connect with others by show of hands? How many of you have enjoyed that? It's a trick question. You should all put your hands up. We're all judging you right now. Um, let me ask you another question. How many of you, and only raise your hand if you, if you agree with this uh, sincerely, how many of you would consider that what you've experienced today during this event is different than a lot of other online events that you've been a part of by the fact that you've been moved in and out of groups. The screen I'm looking at, a lot of the hands are going up. So just a shout out, by the way, to NARPUM and Second Nature for Christopher. This very event is a good example of we could talk all day about how to make this better, but how can we be different? And so I'd love to hear, you've taught us at Exchange a lot about this idea what are, some of the, what are some of the practical things for anybody here today 
to think about in order to do a good job at positioning themselves as different. You've taught us uh, in your book, you talk about the idea of having a point of view. You also talk about how important it is to fall in love with the problem versus the solution. You've also taught us ideas like you have to train your marketplace that they're moving from buying this type of product or service to buying this type of product or service. Um, These are some of the kinds of foundational ideas that you've written about and talked about around how to actually be different versus better. What else could you say about what we could do or any other examples of uh, applying this in our businesses? Well, I think you touched on a number of important things. Um, One is, it's one of the most powerful questions we can ask. What problem are we solving? Why does that problem matter? How do we think about that problem in a unique or different way? And the aha here is, you know, in business, you hear people talking about, um, well, you know, we, we provide a vast array of solutions. Well, nobody buys a solution unless they have a problem. And so legendary category designers evangelize a problem. And there's essentially two kinds of problems. There's a problem that we know that we have that gets reimagined in some new way. Um, You know, a simple example, of course, would be um, personal transportation. Pre-Uber and Lyft, we knew this was a known problem. There were very well-known solutions be it cars, buses, taxis, limos, etc. And nobody ever thought about it any more than that uh, until the advent of the iPhone and somebody said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could press a button on this thing and they would just come get me? And so the problem got reimagined in a new context, in this case, a technology one. That's a known problem. Um, then there's, a, there's an unknown problem that most of us never think about. I'll give you uh, one of my favorite examples. Um, if you, like me, like sushi, um, you might have encountered this problem. Sushi on the go is really hard. You know, there's no drive through sushi place like there is McDonald's or In-N-Out Burger or any of that stuff. And if you go to pick up sushi to take out, it comes in all these boxes and all this stuff. And if you're like me and you can't wait till you get home, you have to have a bite in the car. Well, trying to eat sushi in the car is a pain in the keister, to put it mildly. But most of us never thought about this problem. We just dealt with the way it was. And then a small chain of restaurants emerged here in the San Francisco Bay Area and they reimagined the problem by connecting two things that had never been connected to solve the problem called, how do I eat sushi on the go? And um, they created a new, a new category of sushi. And the company is called Sushi Rito. They take the concept of a burrito and they apply it to sushi. And now, ta-da, you can have sushi on the go and you get this essentially a big wrapped up thing. It's wrapped in seaweed. It sort of looks like a burrito, but it's like a giant, giant uh, roll and, and away you go. And uh, they're the world's first sushi burrito, new category. As a result, they are not like every other sushi restaurant. 
See, in the restaurant business, most people compete on the same things. Location, food quality, service quality, etc. And they play a game called, our sushi's better than their sushi. In this case, Sushi Rito says, our sushi's different than their sushi. Our, the use case, if you will, for our sushi is sushi on the go. And so the, the, the fundamental question that we all have to answer is, do we want to be another sushi restaurant that gets compared to all the other sushi restaurants, or do we want to be the first sushi burrito? I like it. I, you know, I like sushi and I like burritos, so I, I know, find myself a great wanting idea. to enjoy a sushi burrito right now. Yeah, I, I think I need like a sushi pizza too. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to have that. So Christopher, thanks for the example. Um, I've got in front of me, you have a document that my understanding is uh, something you've been working on that'll be released sometime in this lifetime, the Ten Commandments of something or other. And this is the first time anybody's been given permission to look at it outside of a closed vault. That's what I was told. And I've got it in front of me here. Um, <laughs> you're I wanna, in the vault. I'm in the vault. I want to read a couple of these and just ask you to respond to some of these. That sound good? Yeah, of cool. course. So, uh, again, I'm looking at a document here, 10 commandments of, uh, legendary marketing. I added that last part. I don't know the actual title. So you've already talked about the first two. First one being legendary marketing is about creating new demand rather than competing for existing demand. Second one is legendary marketing happens by designing and dominating a new category. I'm going to read maybe the next two or three, and then just ask you to respond to any of these. The third one is this legendary marketing makes customers ask, how have I gone my entire life without experiencing this? I think the Sushi Rito is a great example of that. I could see somebody eating that and then thinking, how could I have gone without this? Um, the second, next one here, legendary marketing elicits people to take action. The third one, and then I'll stop and I'll ask you to respond to any of these. Legendary marketing forces your competitors to have emergency board meetings. Um, and I'll, actually, I will read the next one. Legendary marketing makes other entrepreneurs and marketers jealous. Anything you want to say about any of these uh, three or four commandments that I just read? Well, just because they were the last two. Uh, I, I, I like to do marketing that causes emergency board meetings at our competitors and CEO firings. Right? I, I, want, I want it to be a crisis for them when we launch our campaign. I want them to shit themselves. I want them to, um, every time they hear that they're competing with us, they psychologically surrender. They know they're going to lose. You know, it's like I'm a huge boxing and martial arts fan, right? And uh, a lot of fights are won before the fight begins. And so I like to do marketing that creates a crisis for the competition. Um, and then as a marketer, whenever I see legendary marketing, there's part of me, and I mean this with a smile, that has some envy. It's like, wow, that was fucking awesome. I can't believe those guys did that. That was great. I, I, I wish I had done that. I could have had a V8, right? It's, 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 it's inspiring. It's smart. It's creative. 
Uh, it changes the conversation in an entire market category. Um, uh, sometimes it's completely counterintuitive. Uh, one of my favorite examples, uh, if you've heard of the, um, the, the pioneer of the adult game category, it's, it's a game, a board game called Cards Against Humanity. And they, cre- they, were the, they created this new category of adult uh, kind of party game. And I'm sure some of you have played it. If you haven't, it's a great thing to do during the pandemic. Um, goes, goes fantastic with whiskey. Um, and it's funny as shit with your mother-in-law. But I, I digress. Um, anyway... Uh, the sort of the, the tone of cards against humanity, both in terms of the game itself and their marketing is very distinct and very clear. It's as though cards against humanity was a person and that's how all great brands are. Mm. Anyway, one of the things that they are against is insane consumerism. And so as a result of that, they d- did two things. Number one, on their website, and I believe it's the case right now, you can go to cardsagainsthumanity.com and you can download the entire game for free and they have instructions on how to make your own cards. So the game's available for free if you don't want to buy it on Amazon or whatever. That's point A. Point B, uh, a few years ago for Black uh, uh, Friday, which as of course you know, is the sort of the, the, the big shopping day after Thanksgiving in the excited states, Um, most consumer products will have a big sale or some kind of a promotion around Black Friday. Well, what Cards Against Humanity did to kind of give the middle finger to uh, consumerism was they raised the price of the game on Black Friday as their special sale. And they dropped a press release announcing they were raising the price of the game. And after they lowered the price after Black Friday, they had, you know, tens of thousands of people still emailing, wanting to know if they they could pay the increased price. Um, And so my point is um, very counterintuitive, very shocking, very attention getting, in this case, silly um, in, in a provocative way, trying to make a point and uh, stands out in a way that I, I can't name any other uh, game companies um, uh, marketing strategy. Right. Uh, and so those would be examples of counterintuitive and, and I would underscore the word different ways of driving your category and brand. <laughs> Christopher, I appreciate the examples. I see in the chat box you're getting. Hey, if you're enjoying this, drop a little note in the chat. I, I, Christopher and I can see one of your chat box. So if, if there's an idea that comes up that you enjoy, put a note in there. It just helps us out. Um, I also realize I, I failed to give a disclaimer earlier that Uncle Christopher's interviews are not always family or pet friendly. So if, you've had, if you are homeschooling your kids right now via this event, congratulations. You just accelerated the coming of age of your eight, nine, and 10-year-old. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I explained to the children in my life. Um, uh, both my wife and I swear like pirates. And, uh, and so we just say, hey, look, just don't say anything Uncle Christopher says to your teacher. And most of the kids figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Christopher, this, this last example you gave me, it reminded me of um, second week of March this year. 
Uh, and if all of you go back in our calendars, you know, in COVID years, that feels like three decades ago, but I think it was about six months ago, something like that. Um, when the whole uh, COVID thing got here, I know at our company, and I bet a lot of you who are here at this event today can relate to this. You know, we had this, we had this, oh shit moment, like what's about to happen? How many of you can relate to that, by the way? And what am I supposed to do about this, right? And Christopher, you were a guiding light for me and for our team. And I want to share with everybody, you asked us a question. We were, we were in the middle of, we had to make a huge decision. Our company had a hundred plus uh, members of our community that were up for renewal at literally two weeks, like right as the whole world's being shut down. And we had to figure out how to manage this idea that we're going to ask a hundred people that they need to renew for their training with us. And we didn't know how to handle it because of the sensitivity of the timing, right? And in this example I'm about to give is our example. In no way am I suggesting this is what makes sense in the property management space or for any of you who are here. But the question that Christopher asked us, I thought was brilliant. And Christopher, the question you asked us is you said, John, as I was trying to figure out how do I handle this sensitive thing with my customers? I need to ask them for money right now. And it was right when everything was happening. And you said, John, if you were legendary and you were you, what would you do? <laughs> if you were legendary, is that the question? If you were legendary and you were you, what would you do? And long story longer, we ended up choosing a campaign as a company where for a window of time, we stopped doing this, but for a window of time, we told our customers, you pick any price you want to renew with us. Now, that idea might not sound new to many of you. And again, I'm not saying this is practical in this industry, but Part of what made that a radical decision on our part is how fast we did it. We did that before a lot of other people were saying, pick your price, at least in our industry. And it was a great example, Christopher, of you guiding us to ask if we were legendary and we are us, what would we do? And making a decision that it caused a lot of people to say, that's kind of a crazy decision. It turned out to work really well for us. Um, and that leads me to, I'm going to read your next three or four commandments from this document. And I'm just going to ask you to respond or give any more practical examples. So here's one. Legendary marketing creates value that lasts longer than the campaign. Curious what that means. Legendary marketing is made easier when you're technologically savvy. It seems like something that could be both obvious, but if there's more to this, I want to understand that. The last one is legendary marketing is, is just as much external as it is internal. And I guess I'll read the last one too. Legendary marketing changes the world. So anything you'd like to share in responding to any of these um, commandments here? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're all really important. Um, um, look, I, I know there are people in business who are cynical. It's easy to be cynical. And there, there are people who use marketing for nefarious things. We have... Um, disgusting people right now in Santa Cruz who are telemarketing to people who are displaced from the fires uh, and trying to rob them with various scams. So th those are marketers too. So I'm not ignorant of that. I'm a 52-year-old man. I I've been to the show. Um, that said, legendary marketing changes the world because legendary marketing moves people from where they are to a new place. And so uh, um, I think legendary marketing inspires people. 
and it gets them to act. It opens them up to new ways of thinking and doing things. It opens them up to uh, thinking about problems and therefore solutions in new ways. And as it relates to our people, nobody wants to work for a company that sucks. There's not one person on planet Earth who wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to work for a real shitty company that doesn't inspire me. That's what I want to go do today. That's not what people want. Most of us want to, if we're, if we're employees, want to work for a legendary company. There's this thing today we call a double bottom line. Um, there's a thing today called conscious capitalism. And so uh, there's a, a huge movement afoot that companies should make a difference beyond just their economics. And so I think at the category design level, people take people, uh, legendary marketing takes people from thinking about sushi in one way and having them think about it in another way or uh, a whole new concept they've never heard of. Board games are for kids. Ta-da! And and the first adult board game, right? And legendary marketing should inspire our people. Uh, should make you proud to be associated with that company when you see the website, when you see an ad, when you read a press release, when you see a social media posting. And so I think legendary marketing is about attracting who we want to attract and repelling who we want to repel. And as it relates to both prospects, customers, and our own people, um, our marketing should be very powerful, should be a big attractor to the kinds of people we want to attract to our business. Christopher, when, uh, when, when COVID got here, you said a lot and wrote a lot and gave a lot of counsel to many entrepreneurs around two ideas that I think are examples of what you're talking about. And I'd love to have you reflect on these. Um, and then I might have one more question after this, and then we're going to be sending all of you into... Uh, small groups to share what, what was your favorite takeaway from our time with Uncle Christopher. Um, you, you wrote and said a lot about these two ideas, that the thing to do right now in the middle of a crisis as a marketer and just as a leader is to be thoughtfully aggressive and also radically generous. And I may have mixed those words, but uh, tell us a little bit about what this means to be thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous during a time of crisis and maybe any examples you want to share? Well, I think crisis does not create character. It reveals it. And I think what we as individuals do and what our companies do during this time will be remembered for a long time. And some companies and some individuals are standing up to try to make a difference. And so this idea of how do we be thoughtfully aggressive about trying to uh, grow our business or if we're in crisis mode, save our business, but how do we do it in a way that makes a difference? And thinking about those two things, radically generous and thoughtfully aggressive as deeply connected. And I'll I'll give you a simple example. Um, Since uh, C-19 hit, I have been teaching my 12-year-old niece how to play guitar over Zoom. Uh, and it's, it's cool. And I, to be candid, I don't know that I would have thought about doing that pre-C19, but with C19, 
um, uh, because we can't be together as much and so forth and so on. We're doing it this way. Well, um, there's a company that makes guitars and musical equipment, a legendary company called Fender. And here's the aha. If you want to sell guitars, there's got to be guitar players. Category queens and kings make the category bigger. They're not competing for existing demand. They're creating new demand, right? So what does Fender do? Well, pre-C19, they had launched a new guitar play, uh, a learn-to-play application called Fender Play to try to encourage more people to learn how to play guitar. And I forget how much they were charging for it. A hundred bucks a year sticks in my mind, but I might be wrong. Anyway, whatever it was. When C19 hit, they realized, hey, wait a minute. A lot of people are at home. Some people have some more free time. And so like you with uh, Select Your Own Price, Fender said, you know what? We're going to make Fender Play, our, our guitar learning platform, free for some period of time. I forget, I forget if it's still free, but for some period of time to help people out during C19. So that's called radical generosity. And listen, they're not just Mother Teresa, and that's okay. What they're doing is they're growing the category. And maybe while you're sitting there trying to learn guitar on the Fender guitar app, if you got a couple of bucks laying around, you might think, you know what? I'm learning guitar on, I'm learning to play on this shitty guitar. Maybe it'd be fun to buy a new guitar during this global pandemic, make my, give myself a little bit of a gift. Well, if you're learning to play guitar and you're using Fender Play and you think, maybe, maybe I could treat myself to a new guitar. Are you going to think about a Gibson guitar? Now, I love Gibson guitars, but a lot of people are going to think about Fender. And so the point is the obvious one, which is, how do we do something that contributes our expertise as a company, that contributes what we have to contribute, uh, and at the same time, positions ourselves for long-term success, thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous? When C19 started, I thought to myself, hey, dummy, supposedly you're a marketing expert. Well, it's great to write checks and we had donated PPE to our local hospitals and my wife, Carrie, and I made, wrote some pretty big checks to our local food banks and so forth and so on. But I thought, hey, what's the thing you have most to contribute? Marketing expertise. So we decided to do 30 marketing podcasts in 30 days in this thing we called a marketing pod storm. You've heard of a tweet storm? This was a pod storm. 30 short episodes in 30 days, 30 ideas to help you uh, up the downturn, be, be successful in the recession, right? And of course, podcasts, or at least ours, are free. And so what, however you want to think about it, is it possible for you to do something in your community, in your category, in your part of the world that makes a difference, is radically generous, and at the same time, is thoughtfully aggressive about positioning your company and or your category and brand for success as you go forward. And those two ideas are not mutually exclusive. As a matter of fact, when we think about them as one and the same, 
we may often come up with a, 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 a cool idea like a Fender play. Christopher, I appreciate the example. And, and thank you for sharing this concept with us. It's thought provoking, right? I think for many of us, I'm here just like everybody else thinking about these ideas. And I think it's an important stretch uh, in our minds. You know, as I was listening to a panel earlier, Christopher, before we came on, um, and Jen Stoops acknowledged something. She said, you know, we're in this time that's forcing us to change. And sometimes we resist that change. And I think now is a great time for all of us to stop and consider, hey, what, how can I change how we are being generous, aggressive, creative, innovative in how we position ourselves? Um, in some ways, it might feel like a necessity, uh, but I think it's important to consider that. And just one other thing, if I could. Uh, entrepreneurship in the United States has been declining for several years now, according to the Brookings Institute. And uh, about four years ago, the Wall Street Journal declared a crisis in American entrepreneurship. We recently did an episode of my podcast, Follow Your Different, with uh, uh, an economics professor here at UC Santa Cruz named Rob Farley. And uh, Rob's one of the leading experts in the country on entrepreneurship and diversity. And I don't have the numbers sitting in front of me, but here's what I'll tell you that Rob shared with me. Since C-19 started, A, a third of our economy has gone away. GDP has dropped by a third. In the past, if GDP had dropped by a couple points in an unexpected way, the stock market would tank. A third of our economy has gone away. And the impact of that has been felt disproportionately among small businesses and even worse than that, extraordinarily disproportionately amongst our black-owned and women-owned small businesses. And Rob's done some incredible research on the delta between uh, Caucasian-owned small business and uh, black, brown, and women-owned small businesses. And so um, I think now is a time for all of us who can make a difference in entrepreneurship to try to make as much of a difference as possible. And I think it's important to understand that the inequalities that exist in our country have been massively exacerbated by C-19 in lots of different dimensions. And one of them that is almost not talked about at all is the disproportionate impact on uh, black, brown, and women own small businesses and it's very very concerning and so now more than ever is an opportunity for those of us in a position to make a difference to try to make that difference to be thoughtfully aggressive and radically generous christopher thank you my brother that's all for today's episode of the triple win hope you enjoyed this recording that we released from pmlx 2020 and if you like what you heard here then we fully expect you can be confident you're really going to enjoy what we've got lined up for PMLX 2021. We've got Chris Voss, FBI hostage negotiator, uh, best-selling author, sold millions of copies of his book, Never Split the Difference. We're going to be featuring him and we think you will really like what he has to say and share. Uh, we know many of you are fans of him and his work already. We're totally excited about that. And in addition, 
uh, we're going to have another future of property management uh, panel featuring industry experts, executives from the industry on what they see for the future of the industry we all share and, and are collaborating on together as a professional property management industry. You're going to hear uh, from specific industry experts on specific topics like running high impact uh, Zoom calls, leadership best practices within your team to influence change and manage your team. And what that's like in 2021, it's changed a lot since even just 2011. So you're going to hear that and much, much more. You can go to pm-exchange.com to find out more information about the event, August 24th, 2021. Uh, be sure to sign up and 100% of the proceeds of this event go to charity. So we hope to see you there. We're looking forward to supporting a great cause. Over 300 of your peers have already registered. We're already past last year's number by the time you're listening to this. And uh, very stoked to have another a fantastic event. This was rated a 9.9 out of 10 by the attendees last year. We're, we're seeking to do that or better, shooting for a 10 out of 10 this year. Hope to see you there. pm-exchange.com. Take care.